Psychiatric Junkies, and welcome back to another episode of the SNAP Podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Lasky-McFarlane, and today we are sitting down with a member of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Workgroup within the APTA Academy of Pediatric Physical Therapy, Dr. Mika Mitchell. Dr. Mika Mitchell is a pediatric physical therapist and a professor at Methodist University in Fayetteville, North Carolina, teaching pediatrics and other foundational PT courses. She serves as the ABTA Pediatrics North Carolina Pediatric Advocacy Liaison. In 2018, she joined the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Workgroup within APTA Pediatrics. She has presented at CSM on how the understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion are paramount to practicing as a pediatric physical therapist, and is here to talk to the Students and New Professionals podcast about the basics of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the role these topics have on us as pediatric physical therapists and aspiring physical therapists. The conversation is split up into two parts, with this podcast focusing on the foundational concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Without further ado, here is the first part of my conversation with Dr. Mika Mitchell. Hi, Mika. Welcome to the podcast. How have you been during this pandemic? I'm hanging in there. I am doing better every day. Um, How about yourself? You know, I think that's generally the feel. You know, it's been great to take some time to really uh, focus on where we're going as a profession. And I'm really happy to have you on and excited to talk diversity, equity, and inclusion from diverse voices. Myself, a gay Asian American woman, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Well, my name is Mika Mitchell. I'm a black cisgender female, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am originally from Brooklyn, New York. I currently live in North Carolina, where I'm a professor at Methodist University and an early intervention PT provider. Thank you. In this first podcast, we'll first set the stage and discuss fundamental topics. But since there's no visuals for our listeners, it's important to understand who we are in the context of our topic and our identities. So thank you. So first, can you tell us about how you became to be so intentionally involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion work? I became involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion work with the Academy of Pediatrics. I had an opportunity to work on the diversity, equity, and inclusion work group with some awesome people that welcomed me in. I was at a conference and I didn't really know too many people, but there was just that welcoming presence and um, just genuine interest and um, genuine requests for my participation. And from that, I was able to meet some awesome people in our, in our section. And here we are. I think that's great. Sometimes it can be kind of isolating at conferences, especially when new work is starting. So to hear that you were received and sought out in a very genuine way is really just a good story to hear. So I think where we want to start is talking about the terms, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I had the opportunity to go to some of the sessions at CSM this year that focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I learned a heck of a lot. So what are diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how are those three terms different? That's a great question, because sometimes you'll hear DEI and, you know, It's good for us to get this basic understanding so we know where we can move forward. And so diversity is just a varied representation. And so whatever setting you're in, that this setting does not just look like one 
demographic. It does not look like one race or one gender or one ability. So there's just a varied representation and diversity sometimes has to be intentional to say, you know what, we all look alike. You know, what it, why, why is that? Because our population is diverse. Um, there are different percentages of representation within our population. And that is the hope with adding diversity is that with all the different spaces that we're in, that it reflects the, the, the society. And then equity, equity means that we're looking to ensure fair treatment. And so you can have people that look differently or maybe they're differently abled. You want them to have the same treatment as somebody else. And so that somebody's not being treated um, unfairly and that we have respect and intentionality for um, those spaces to be equitable. Why we have wheelchair ramps and why we have, you know, sometimes um, considering closed caption for people that are have, have an issue with hearing. Um, and so looking at inclusion is now this culture that everyone is able to actively participate and contribute. So we look at our spaces and we want to diversify them. We want more people that look different and have different perspectives as well. It's not just the visual differences, but just a a variety of perspective. And so when we're talking about inclusion, it's now that we've diversified the space, we looked at equity, we want everybody to have the fair access to this space, but then an inclusion is with your contribution of your presence that we're actually gonna listen to your recommendations and implement them. Yeah, I really like the way that you spelled those three terms out. And I, you know, we see DEI, everywhere, especially now as the APTA as a whole has really worked on pushing this agenda forward to improve our profession. Um, so, but I think it's really important to go back to the basics and make sure we understand that, you know, diversity is having different people at the table or at the dance and in, in one, um, in one illustration, but inclusion is bringing everybody onto that dance floor. So those terms are different, even though we talk about them usually in one clump. So now that we have this basic understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion, what do you believe is the biggest challenge for uh, the Academy of Pediatrics in relation to those topics? I think we're off to a great start with just the awareness that we need to work on and look at and continue to work, look at our diversity, equity, and inclusion, looking at our spaces and our access and the inclusion and participation of all members. Um, I think going forward, I like the word intentional, you know, being intentional and continuing to reevaluate our spaces and the APTA has set a great foundation. The Academy of Peds is right in step with a great foundation. And with the um, work groups, diversity, equity, and inclusion work groups within different spaces within the APTA, we are hearing the voices of underrepresented groups of people. Yeah, I really like the way that you look at it as, you know, our profession, specifically the academy being intentional in their work and that being, you know, a, a light in some of the topics that we're talking about is that there are a group of people among us that are being intentional and that are working to educate our colleagues and our coworkers. Yes, um, because we were 
we were proactive in this diversity, equity, and inclusion where some people now are having to be reactive to trying to catch up to what, what momentum and what activities we've already tried to work on and implement. Yeah, of course. I've, I've really liked following the work that the diversity, equity, and inclusion group has, work group has done. I've learned so much at the sessions at CSM. Um, and I really learned a lot about some different terms too within the diversity, equity, and inclusion framework. Um, so there, that are super important for us to know as we look to educate ourselves about these topics and gain some cultural competency. So can you talk a bit more about implicit and explicit biases? Yes. And this is something that we, I hope when you think about or once you hear these definitions that the first reaction isn't um, defensive because we all have them. We all have a bias. And it's what we do with that knowledge of that bias that makes the difference. So an implicit bias, that is unconscious. Those are our thoughts and our feelings that are unconscious, those attitudes or stereotypes. And that affects our actions and our behavior. Um, and so that I think is where you probably, where we can start to address um, diversity, equity, and inclusion and continue to grow is what do we do with this unconscious implicit bias that I'm not controlling that, you know, it's, 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 your thoughts and your feelings. Um, the explicit bias, that is attitudes and beliefs that we have about groups or people, but this is at your conscious level. And these are based on sometimes perceived threats or the dominance of your implicit bias that leads you to believe stereotypes and you know use that to um, maybe um, negatively interact with people. Yeah, I really like the way that you talked about these two terms and especially how you highlighted that it's important to know that everyone has their own implicit biases. First, we have to identify those biases and then we take action against them because if we don't recognize them, then we're not armed to take any type of action. And there are a lot of resources online. Harvard has an implicit bias test and there's an implicit bias. Um, if you look that up, you can find some tests to take it on your own. And, you know, in those safe spaces in your own place, you can check yourself and be accountable to yourself. Yeah, of course. And any references that we have throughout the podcast, I'll make sure to drop them in the podcast notes too, uh, so that everybody can have access to those. Um, Mika, how, how do biases affect people from minority backgrounds in their places of work or, or, or education? Without biases being checked, they can have a negative impact. You know, if people are aware of their biases coming in, it may not have an effect. So I think, you know, on an individual level, um, there's the possibility for the positives and the negatives. And that's why we do need to check our biases. Because if you're not aware of the stereotypes or the feelings that you have toward a group of people, um, and you're expressing that through your behavior and your actions, that those behaviors and those actions are interpreted by the people around you. And if you're in a position of power, you can influence the people around you to continue those negative behaviors and stereotypes. And, you know, sometimes there are students, there are 
employees, your colleagues, uh, that could be why that you're not having stronger relationships or why people are not engaged and wanting to participate at their max potential because of some of the, the interactions based on biases. Yeah, I think related to these biases a little bit um, is a term that actually you taught me a lot about at CSM this year, and that was microaggressions. Can you share what a microaggression is and how those microaggressions can be harmful to our colleagues, classmates, and clients? Yes, similar to biases, you can intentionally cause a microaggression or unintentionally. And so there are those everyday... It could be nonverbal, it could be verbal, it could be um, environmental slights. There's slights, there's snubs, there are insults. Um, it could be how you're intentionally not interacting with um, a group of people or a particular person, um, but you, it communicates hostility. There's derogatory intonations and negative messages are, are expressed and for the majority of the people that are affected by microaggressions they are representative of underrepresented groups so most people that are negatively affected by microaggressions are in marginalized groups of people and john hopkins has a diversity wheel and on this wheel there is a outside circle and then there's an inside circle and this outside circle, these are the items that can change over time. So it could be your education, your political belief, your family um, dynamics, your organizational role, your language and communication skill, your income, your religion, your appearance, your work experience. And those can change over time. But then on the inside of this diversity wheel is age, race and ethnicity, mental, physical ability, uh, sexual orientation, na na national origin, gender, gender expression, and identity. And with this diversity wheel, it represents these marginalized groups of people. And so within those nine targeted potential victims, this is where we want to be careful and be more aware of our interactions with others. Yeah, I think it's important to know about microaggressions because, like you said, they can be intentional, but they can also be very unintentional. So if you haven't already, I would encourage you to do some research about microaggressions, especially if you do see um, a clientele that maybe is is different from you in, in any way on, on, the, on the Johns Hopkins wheel that, that Mika mentioned. Now that wheel had a lot of different categories, so that brings me to the topic of intersectionality. And that was a relatively new term to me in the last year as I worked to gain some understanding and competence in DEI topics. So how is intersectionality important as a healthcare provider? Yeah, so intersectionality is a fairly new term if you can think of 30 years being a, a new word to <laughs> our society. But it was initially coined by Kimberly Crenshaw and she was really using it to describe race and gender intersections that it's hard to, um, it was hard for people to understand the compounding effects of race and gender. But now it's kind of taken more of a broader sense of the interconnectedness of our social categories. So you 
are more than just one thing. You are not just your race. You are your race. You are your class. You are your gender. You are um, just any th- the things that identify you as a person, as an as an individual, or as a group. They start to compound your intersections. I, yeah, I I really identified with some of the stuff I learned about intersectionality for some kind of obvious reasons in that you're not just one person and you're not just pigeonholed into one identifying as one thing. So I really liked some of the stuff that I learned about that and continue to keep my door open and ear to the ground to hear some of that stuff and make sure that I'm educating myself on the ways and people identify in different ways and, and how that affects, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in our profession. And specifically, I think one of the, speaking of newer terms, if 30 years is new, uh, I think neurodiversity was a term that I first heard during my residency when I completed that in North Carolina. And, and that was mostly in context in speaking with individuals diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. As a pediatric physical therapist, how familiar are you with the term neurodiversity? And why is it important to see our clients, coworkers, and fellow students through the, this lens instead of a disability lens? Yes, and as a lifelong learner, I am learning these new terms as well. And I am somewhat familiar with neurodiversity. I do understand that it's the brain differences aren't what makes you abnormal. Um, brain differences are normal. We function on a, a spectrum of what normal is or a range of what normal is. And identifying neurodiversity will then help to reduce the stigma and really get supports to students or our patients or our colleagues that think different or learn differently. And that's not to be shunned or it's not to be... Um, looked at as a deficit. It's just, they just have a different way that they're, they're needing some supports. Yeah, I think this will be an interesting term to follow as more people identify on the spectrum and really want you to hear them in the, and see them in a lens of neurodiversity. So I'm really excited to see some of the work that's coming out and research coming out on the topic of neurodiversity. Moving along, I think a hard term for many people to talk about is privilege. First, what is privilege and how does it affect you and your patients? My simple definition of privilege is you have an advantage. And um, it can come from socioeconomic, it can come from race, it can come from gender. It really just depends on the space that you're in, um, the position that you hold, and what you do with that privilege, with that advantage. Why do you think privilege has such a negative connotation and it's hard to talk about? I think privilege has a negative connotation and it's hard to talk about because a lot of people feel that we're all equal and they don't always see the racism or the classism or the um, barriers that uh, other people are facing. And so when it's brought to our attention, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a shock. Yeah, I think especially talking about our profession and maybe it not being as diverse as we need it to be in reflection of our patients. I think privilege is a big topic that 
maybe doesn't get enough positive talk because privilege can be a positive topic as people are starting to understand it a little bit more too. Yes. And using our voice. And what I've learned is that I have an advantage because as I'm getting more knowledge and more experience, I have a voice to speak to some of the things that, you know, maybe a student can't speak to. And so privilege can have a positive if you are, if you acknowledge it. Yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge that privilege before you're able to make positive change towards things that we're working on. And it's not news that much of the United States has been identified to be affected by institutional racism. Can you tell me a little bit about institutional racism and how it's impacting healthcare specifically for pediatric physical therapy? Well, we start with racism, and that is a prejudice, it's discrimination toward a person or a group of people. And if we look at the population that is primarily affected by this pandemic of COVID that are more likely to be in a lower socioeconomic status, we as physical therapists need to identify that those are our most vulnerable patients and our role allows us to speak and advocate for the needs of our patients through our voice, through advocacy day with our legislators, through our voting. Yeah, thank you for outlining that. You know, you really have to understand the term racism to really even see how institutional racism is affecting the healthcare system today. And I think looking at social determinants of health is another factor that can kind of help you understand that systematic racism or the effects of racism on different groups of people, um, especially once you add in this lower socioeconomic status and those intersections, because the social determinants of health is where people live, where they've grown up, it's socioeconomic status, it's education, it's neighborhoods their physical environment. And so we, being pediatric physical therapists, work with children, but their children are parts of families. And these families have just a variety of of life circumstances and situations that are going on. And if we step back, we can kind of see how that, that environment is affecting them, but they don't have control over that. But what can we do to if it's just providing some information about resources, if it's connecting our patients with um, social worker, if it's encouraging them to advocate for themselves with their their medical providers for the things that um, they, they're needing. I really like that uh, social determinants of health and really seeing our patients as part of a whole, because if we bring them into the clinic or go into their homes in any capacity, and we don't see them as part of a whole, then we're missing a heck of a lot. So thank you for for talking about those. I wanted to talk a little bit about cultural competency. Many people know that buzzword cultural competency because they've done a short webinar with a few questions yearly at their institution, but can you tell us a little bit about cultural competency and its role in DEI? It's important to get to know the people that you're working with and working with is either that patient therapist relationship or even just your colleagues or students that you're working with. And it's 
advised to not generalize a group wholeheartedly and believe the generalization. And so my recommendation would always be to get to know the individual, you know, being respectful and understand that maybe there is something um, about this person because of the racial group that they're in or their religion or their socioeconomic status or just something that's different than you identifying that that might be a factor for them but once you get to know people and understand you know who they are and what their um, desires are then I think going forward you can individualize your interactions yeah again we go back to you know looking at the person and looking at that person you know as a whole and not just them as you think they are. So I I really like the way that you talk about cultural competency and really makes us focus on our individual patients. Uh, So we've talked a bunch of different terms, basic, diversity, equity, and inclusion, buzzwords that I think really bring us forward in our basic understanding. So are there any other foundational concepts that we haven't hit on or any themes maybe that you um, think are important to know in this conversation? Well, we did, we talked about microaggressions and, you know, sometimes when we bring awareness to a lot of different terminology and then we learn about things that possibly have offended people, then it's like, well, what do I do? Like, I didn't mean to. And so impairing the, the, the term microaggressions, also being aware of microaffirmations, I think is important because that's the next step of where do I go from here? I think I probably offended somebody. Um, now what do I do? And so with these microaffirmations, these are tiny acts of opening doors of opportunity, gestures of inclusion, caring, graceful acts, listening, um, because sometimes the awkward silence is necessary. Sometimes just listening, even if you think you have some ideas or some solutions, just listening speaks more volumes um, in certain situations. Practicing generosity, giving credit to others, giving people their their due credit. Um, And then also providing that comfort when you see that you've experienced something that was distressing to somebody. Um, and just being there as a support because not every situation needs to be addressed when it happens. We have to consider safety. We have to consider our, our own behavior and how we know our reaction is going to, to turn out. And so um, I think having a space for people to feel supported, feel um, that they're in a safe, brave space that they can move forward with with the support. Yeah, thank you for showing us some ways that we can start to take some action too, because some of the topics we talked about may be the first time you've heard of them, but it also may not be the first time and you may be working on things. So thank you for giving us, you know, a little target to shoot for in these micro affirmations. I know that I first heard about them, you know, with you at CSM and it's, it's definitely something to work on and definitely something to work into your day to make more reflexive. And that word again, intentional. <laughs> definitely intentional. So thank you for helping us kind of set a baseline understanding of these topics and all the terms that we did go over and all the themes that we did go over. So I want to go back to 
I learned a lot of these terms and topics and themes at CSM when I went to some of the sessions focused on diversity, equity, inclusion. So I know that you were part of those because you were on the diversity, equity, and inclusion work group. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the work group and what type of work you're pursuing? Yes, so the APTA Pediatrics DEI work group. I am a member since 2018, I believe, is when I started with the work group. And we really want to continue to work with the APTA's vision and the APTA Pediatrics vision and mission because optimizing movement for lifelong participation. How do you get participation? You have to encourage people. You have to meet them where they are. And sometimes you have to see the needs of the group. And if your group is not very diverse, you know, seeking out that will help to motivate and keep that momentum going forward. Um, and what we've been working on is just really looking within our academy, where are some opportunities that we can increase, you know, visual diversity or supporting members that are within a diverse category. And there we have it, folks, the foundational concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion brought to us by a member of the APTA Pediatrics Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Workgroup, Dr. Mika Mitchell. Make sure to check out the show notes for the references that Mika mentioned, and stay tuned for the second part of our conversation where Mika and I discuss how competency with diversity, equity, and inclusion are imperative as a pediatric physical therapist or physical therapist student, challenges the profession faces, and the intentional work being done by our colleagues to advance our profession. If you have questions about anything you heard on the podcast, please reach out to us and we can answer your questions or direct you to someone who can. If you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to show us a little bit of love by following the podcast, sharing it with a friend, or posting it on social media. See you next time, and as always, thanks for listening.